Welcome back, everyone. This is Simon Phillips, host of Leading the Field, the podcast where I interview some amazing people, people who are out there making a difference in the lives of others. They're leading in their fields, whatever that that may be. And we've had some wonderful guests already um, in this series, but I'm really excited about today's guest, Sarah Chalice from whocaresforcarers.com has written an amazing book called Who Cares? And I know there's another bit that attaches itself to the end of that um, that question in the book title, but we'll ask Sarah what that is in a moment. But all I do know is it provides a huge amount of support for people who find themselves caring for people in an almost like very formal day-to-day role in our society. So I'm really excited to introduce you all to Sarah. Sarah, say hello to the people watching and the people uh, listening to this uh, wherever they are right now. Hello, Simon. Thank you so much for having me on and about all things carers, um, which I know is is something deep in your heart as well with work that you've done previously. So thank you. Yeah, it's lovely to see you. So Sarah, what we like to do, so we'll come back to have a, you know, hopefully a really interesting conversation around the carers piece. Um, But tell us a little bit about your journey how did you end up um, doing the work you do today? But what were the origins? What, how did you get started? Because there'll be plenty of people out there right now who are thinking, I'm maybe I'm looking at the world of work and trying to work out what I'm going to do. And so, you know, start there and then tell, talk us through some of the real sort of some of the maybe significant challenges along the way. Forgive me if I interrupt you because I just I do that because I get excited about some of the things that people say. So but just, yeah, let's talk through the story, though, thus far. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that, Simon. Yes. So you probably heard that John Lennon um, phrase, life happens when um, when you're making other plans. <laughs> and that definitely happened for me uh, when it came to caring, because I don't anybody out there goes, right, that's what I want to be doing with my life, caring for a loved one. Life just happens. And, you know, I'd been traveling. So I want to go back 20 years ago. I, I was like, oh, when is my life going to start, really? When it, was it really going to start? And I think we all feel that at times. And I've been traveling around Australasia, got back climbing the walls in Peterborough and then that was it I applied for jobs and within a few weeks I was working in London and I was in the NatWest Tower and the design team so I'm a graphic designer by trade that's what I did and um, within three days of working in the NatWest Tower that is when I met Neil he was this big gregarious guy he was our print supplier to our graphic design team and he'd take us out for lunch every now and again and you know, I loved his company. He oozed confidence. He was, you know, very funny. And within not long, we, we started dating and we were having a great time. But what happened next was within a, only within six weeks of going out, he'd been having these side effects, kind of like down his arm. He'd been having pins and needles. And he ended up in hospital and he was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumour, which was a shock us all awful I mean we was it just knocked us all sideways yeah. Neil hadn't been to the doctors in 14 years mm-hmm. which is amazing so I said don't worry Neil I'm there for you not realizing what, what that would mean for me yeah. for the next number of years you know and um I was trying to be everything to everybody. So I was being there for Neil, as anybody out there who knows that they're caring for their loved one. And then you're trying to be there for everybody else. Mm. And um, 
I remember the, the stress and the burden that that caused for me at the time, trying to keep Neil going. Uh, he was back and forth from hospital having chemotherapy, had had a huge operation and survived that. For me, I... At one time, I had four twitches in my face. The stress that that was, wow. you know, I was carrying, trying to put on that brave face as many of us do as carers, uh, and not then looking after myself, trying to people please, being there for everybody else. Mm. And then in the end, as I, what I found in the past is um, of recent, is that uh, many of us, you know, end up giving up our work, our career to care for our loved ones because we just don't seem to have that support. And uh, for me, you know, in the end, I, I just had enough. I needed to be there for Neil. We'd got married by then and uh, I was looking after Neil and I wanted that quality time with him for however long he had. But we had years more. We had like seven, eight years more of that still yeah. to, to go. So then I was working from home as a freelance designer whilst I was continuing to care for Neil. Mm. And, um, you know, at the time, I'm going to be really honest with you, although I worked for corporate, so I was in the corporate world, um, I liked the idea of working with charities. I knew that there was more. I wanted to expand and evolve. I, I kind of, I found it a bit staid at times when I was working within the corporate. And so then I started to become a trustee for a local neuro charity called INS here in Twickenham. Really enjoyed that. It's very, very interesting work, as well as doing their graphic design, as well as being a full-time carer. So I was doing a lot uh, in the care world, as well as um, trying to carry on with my work as well and get some monies in. Yeah. So it was quite complex and, and there was there was a lot going on, quite a variety. Really enjoyed that. But within a, a few years of being at home caring for Neil, he had a stroke and he ended up in a hospital bed in our living room, unable to speak. And it was 24-7 nursing care. And that's what really scuppered me. And like most carers up to you know 70% of carers fall mentally or physically unwell yeah. as I did and I was a younger carer I was somebody um, who was upbeat I was juicing you know doing beetroot juice and things like that micronutrients for the brain for Neil I was juicing for myself and going running still got the better of me um, we can really get pulled sideways even mm -hmm. when you you're looking at health and well-being and you're a bit more conscious of all that side of things it can get the better of any of us yeah and i think the interesting thing there you said earlier about you know you were juggling all of these balls but if anybody had said to you that you know sarah you know you're a carer yeah i bet you wouldn't have even recognized the title no, and I wouldn't have back at the beginning, and most of us don't. Uh, even my neighbour, he cared for his wife. He still never saw himself as a carer for those few years that, that she she was poorly. Yeah. Uh, most of us don't. In fact, it can take up to two years for somebody to recognise that they're a carer, and usually the crisis has already happened. Mm. Something has already happened. You've had to leave work, or you've fallen ill yourself. That is often, sadly, when people realise that they are a carer. It's too late then. Yeah. So it's about educating, letting others know that uh, there is support out there for you and what you need to do a bit differently to make sure that you look after yourself. Yeah. And then, as you and I both know, because we do you know, a, a, a nice bit of work with carers who are in these unpaid caring roles, it almost then goes a full 180 because at some point they wake up and they start to recognize 
and in their words, not ours, because we definitely don't see them like this, but they are just a carer. They've, you know, they've lost their career. They've lost their connection with society on many levels. And they are there 24 seven, just being a carer. So they've gone from being someone who voluntarily wanted to help and be there and support their loved ones, but keep everything else going, juggle all those balls and not seeing themselves as a carer to now being someone who feels totally isolated and yes. just a carer. Did you get to that point personally? Massively, yes. I think, you know, when Neil ended up in that hospital bed, I think it, I, it, I, that burden that I've been carrying that big sack of rocks for a long time and I've been weighed heavily. Mm. And it wasn't until, you know, Neil ended up in the hospital bed and it was 24 seven nursing care. I ended up falling ill and for many of us as carers we suppress our emotions we don't really want to go there and, and look at ourselves we don't want to open that can of worms our focus as i call it is that carer response mode is focusing on our loved one making sure they survive making sure they're okay to then turn that arrow back on yourself to give yourself that same love and compassion you can feel awkward it yes. feels you feel guilty i did so i wouldn't go there i just i did suppress it i put on that brave face as so many of us do whilst caring you know you think, oh, it's, it's my loved one it's ill not not me and often you know family will kind of ask how the person who's ill or has the condition how they are but they forget about the carer yeah and um, yeah you, you soldier on ignoring your own health even maybe cancelling health care appointments mm, yeah well and that's where it all starts isn't it because you don't observe the early signs for yourself and if you're like in your case you're caring for your partner your partner may had they been you know fully fit and and competent and all the rest of it they might have seen some early signs in in you you know starting to fray at the edges but because the other thing that happens and i don't know whether you've had this but a, a lot of other people in what might have been an inner circle previously sort of also go missing not necessarily consciously on their part but they might even think oh you know they've got enough to do they don't need me coming around as well so the the carer is starting to feel like you know i, I can't ask anything of anybody else because i'm the carer if you like but so they're starting to not ask directly that way but equally the people around them aren't volunteering anything because they feel they don't want to get in the way. No, you're absolutely right there, Simon. Um, if you're the one, I, I find this with myself and with many carers, if you're the one that steps up to the mark to care and be the primary carer, others will, maybe family, will kind of step back and leave you to it. It kind of becomes expected by society by family, by friends, and even by yourself. Yeah. And I think that's where we can really slip up as carers. We, you know, we, we, we soldier on and think, well, it's me now, I'm, I'm the one, it, it's expected of me, I expect it of myself. And uh, no man is an island, and we should all be stepping up. In even the smallest, you know, if I'd had a little bit more help and care here and there, I wouldn't have fallen ill. Mm. Um, and what format did the illness take with you, Sarah? Okay, well, I think mentally I wasn't in a, a good place. I remember going for a carer's assessment. If anybody out there is a carer, do go and get an assessment. And I remember at that particular time, going and seeing this young man, I was Australian dude, he was sat there with, and he said to me, so, you know, what do you want? 
And I, I was then really angry because I, I said, what have you possibly got that could help me care for a terminally ill husband? Mm. And he said, well, why don't you just tell me what's been happening? So then I start. it literally opened up this, this pressure that, uh, on, that had been loaded for so long. <laughs> and through tears and snot bubbles, I delivered the story of what had happened, of caring for Neil all these years. And I had no idea that was inside of me, how I'd been, it had been building up and making me so ill and making me very low. And uh, when I left there, I realized I had to make changes to make sure I was better. But during that time as well, because I'd been suppressing my emotions, I was in that constant fight or flight mode, as many of us are, I ended, it ended up impacting on me physically and um, my immune system was shot. I ended up with a horrendous chest infection. I had it for months and months. No antibiotics were touching it. And then, unfortunately, I ended up with MRSA infection in both ears, brought home from Neil when he came home from hospital. So I'm, it's a wonder I'm still here, actually. <laughs> so I about what I went through, that roller coaster. Yeah. It was awful. It wasn't until I went on a silent retreat after that, Neil went into a nursing home to, to help me to recover while I recovered. Mm. And I it was emergency respite that... Um, I had that time and that peace and when I felt this pang of anger for certain people who were judging me and it caused me grief, I, it was almost like an electrical current when my chest went straight up into my throat and I felt like a vice-like grip and I realized that that first time that mind-body connection mm -hmm. is very powerful and these negative thoughts that I'd been having as so many of us do were impacting on me physically. I had to make changes for the better yeah. and that's what I did. Hmm. So. Tell us what happened next then. Well, um, while I was sat there, while we were all meditating, about 35 of us down in Devon, I, I said to myself, you know what? I had to emotionally let go of those people that, who weren't there for me. No. So I said, if they turn up our front door again, great. If they never turn up at our front door again, great. I actually emotionally let them go. It's mm. not easy, mm. especially if they could be family, but that's what I did. Not everybody is gonna be there for you. I think for any of us going through a challenging role, it might not just be caring. You really get to know who is really there for you. And another really important one, I think for all of us as carers, not only had I left myself last on the list, I wasn't even on the list <laughs> when it came to my priorities. And I would say to anybody caring, you are number one mm. and it it's from that place and then you feel more empowered instead of just feeling like you're a dog's body existing for another yeah so you know obviously as you work through all of those emotions as you get yourself sorted yes. um the world starts to change around you so it did it changed it changed drastically so when i home, i was then caring for neil still but I was then also caring for myself. And it took a number of months for me to get back to my old self again. But I realized I'd left myself to the wayside and I went, no, that, that can't happen again. Yeah. I have to be there for me. Otherwise I won't survive caring for Neil. No, exactly. And that's what I do. And, and you know, one of the, one of the um, things that I'm sure you share with people and I share with people is the whole notion of the oxygen mask. And on an airplane, they always say, fit your own mask first so that you can be strong enough to help the people around you. And that's exactly the situation for, for carers. More so, actually, Simon, it's a great metaphor. But mm. what I noticed with carers, not only do they not fit their own mask first, 
they they put it on their loved one but then they go how can I help you and they start to help everybody else because you're in that kind of carer response mode being there for everybody else while you slowly shrivel and I see that time and time again when I talk to carers I have friends uh, some of them are carers and often when I ask how are you mm. they'll talk for about a minute but then they'll go on about their loved one or other people and I have to keep putting my hand on their arm but let's bring it back to you they find it very uncomfortable to go there but it is it is which makes you wonder for some people what came first was it the mentality of I'm I'm only here to serve others or was it the the need to serve others and then it becomes a way of life so it's a really interesting uh, point I think it was a need for me personally I knew that Neil might have limited time and mm. I said don't worry I'm there for you and then I put all my eggs in one basket I put my love into him to a point where I didn't even go home for a year to my parents in Cambridgeshire and then my grandfather died during that time and I realized I haven't been back to see them because I put all my love into Neil I was very upset and very angry about that and I thought yeah. you know I've got to be there for all of those that I love as well as myself mm. but we become a great tunnel vision that, that can happen so strongly when you're caring for somebody who might have limited time yeah and and for me it all comes back then to an awareness because sometimes you know as with most things in life it happens organically and all of a sudden you wake up there's an awareness moment maybe and it's like how on earth did I get here in your case it was you know your, your grandfather's funeral it's like how did that happen how did I neglect all of these other people and only focus here the good thing is hopefully with a, with the right support around you people don't then get into beating themselves up and actually have some you know have some grace for themselves and and allow the fact that we make decisions sometimes from a purely emotional space and you know it, what we ha what we have to do when we become aware of um, something that we would want to change that we just okay the best time to change it is now yes it's so important you know I knew I needed to make strong changes to to survive it I know of carers who are now long-term sick from that continued stress and burden I thought mm. those were real alarm bells for me I thought don't be with that part of that statistic you've got a life to live you've got life to enjoy yeah. and I say that to anybody caring for a loved one and this is this was the quote that that really stuck with me this is what I say to carers life is not about abstaining and enduring it is still about enjoying your life especially if you are a carer yeah. and you know what is it that you need to do to make sure that you are okay what do you need to push back on and having those healthy boundaries is so important and I'd say also you know with your tribe as well not everybody's going to be there for you so recognize who is there for you focus on those and I call them taps and drains mm -hmm. um, but it's powerful for anybody going through any challenge you know if there's a you know if you're going through a challenge, there are people you can think of right now. I'd like like everybody to think right now. You can think of somebody who is loving and giving to you in your life, and that is a tap. But also, I'm sure you can think of somebody who's been quite draining, and it's recognizing that. So I've had to kind of distance myself, especially when I was going through that horrendous challenge of caring uh, for Neil, to distance myself from those who were draining me, because otherwise I'd have fallen ill again, and right. I didn't have the time and the energy for that. I had to make sure I was okay for me as well as for Neil. Love it. 
Thank you, Sarah. We're going to take a quick break so that people can look after themselves right now and grab themselves either a comfort break or a cup of tea and, and come back in just a few moments. Welcome back. Hope you've got yourself fully armed with a, with a lovely warm cup of tea or if for those of you who uh, don't live in England, maybe a, an iced drink <laughs> because you've got decent temperatures. Um, welcome back. I'm here with the wonderful Sarah Chalice. We've been talking about Sarah's experience, which I'd love to say was unique to her because that would mean that there's not a big problem on our hands at the moment in society. But unfortunately, Sarah's experience is, is replicated right across the country. In fact, right across the, the, the world in many respects, because we do have an aging population, but we also have lots and lots of chronic disease and struggling healthcare systems to actually cope with all of those problems. Um, and so, Sarah, you, you know, you've brought us up to the point where you felt the change internally. You did some work on yourself to remember who you are and your value in the world, as well as the caring activities you were doing that you personally were important. So, so what happened next then? Okay, well, you know, recognizing and realizing I, I, I've fallen over all these hurdles through life, you know, of all these things that I'd learned when we go through challenges. We really do learn, don't we? And with that, I started to write my book, Who Cares? How to Care for Yourself Whilst Caring for a Loved One, because most of us don't. Uh, that's why too many of us end up falling ill. And um, I looked at all the issues that had happened for me for over those 13 years of caring for Neil, and I realized there'd been a lot. And um, within the book also there's not just those solutions, that insights, but also the psychology, simple psychology that we can all use. Things like, oh my God, carers need this. And also um, strategies to, to help them. And, and a bit of science as well about telomeres, really important for, for all of us who are caring. Yeah. And with that, I then started to, to give talks for carers. Almost as soon as it came out for Carers Week, I ended up on This Morning on ITV. And the, the book won an award a couple of years ago with the People's Book Prize, which is, which is fantastic because it's bigging up and making people aware how important the work for carers is. And from that point, um, I've been giving talks for local and national charities. And um, and also I give my um, Wisdom to Empower sessions with Carers UK um, in their share and learn um, section, um, which has been really powerful. I see changes in carers. I give them clarity. I give them insight so they can actually take things away with them and start to use them today, which yeah. is so 
empowering. And also what I've noticed of recent, um, it's been really wonderful, but you know, larger corporations, businesses have recognized carers in the workplace, such as say, for example, Sainsbury's and Virgin Media O2. They've asked me to give talks as well as the Department for Education and they have hubs for carers and I know that a number of uh, big companies do which is absolutely wonderful supporting carers and I have recent I've given talks not just for the carer but also the line manager because even though the carer may have all that experience that insight not ever and compassion not all line managers will especially no. if you've not been a carer before how would you know mm. So it's been very empowering. So uh, being a collaborative work across the workplace for Sacred Science, Sainsbury's and Virgin Media or two, to allow them to get a deeper insight and understand and how to support carers in the workplace. Yeah. Really important, Simon. Uh, it's hugely, because if you don't support them, then you've got a couple of, from, a, from an organisational perspective, you've got a couple of unpalatable options in, ahead of you. One is they'll leave because they just can't balance the time anymore. Two, they'll sort of leave because they'll go on long-term sick because they just can't cope. Or three, um, and this is an interesting one for a lot of organisations, you will get a reputation as being the sort of organisation that doesn't really care or doesn't really have any options and... Um, uh, good thinking about how do you support what is an increasingly huge percentage of your own workforce. I mean, you and I were trying to estimate it earlier. We are talking millions of people who do not classify themselves as carers, but they are doing that juggle. They are caring for yes. someone at home and they're trying to work. And, and as you say, most line managers, if they haven't had that experience themselves, wouldn't know, wouldn't anticipate that. They might not even know who those individuals are in their teams. And yet, if we can cr help organizations create an infrastructure or a process or a system or anything, really, it could just literally be a communication process that just starts to unearth that and, and, and identify people who we could support better. And that's what's wonderful about the work that you're doing and some of the conversations that we're having. Because I just think that there's such a big opportunity here to, you know, as my good friend Renee Smith would talk about, to bring more love into the workplace and to eliminate that fear. Should I talk about this? Should I even, mm -hmm. you know, raise this? Is it something that anybody can help me with? You know, that's a real problem at the moment. So it is a huge issue. I, you know, the statistics show with Carers UK that 600 uh, working carers actually quit work due to the insufficient support. It's probably a lot more than that. And like you say, it can take up to two years for somebody to recognise that they are a carer. So it's really just educating our uh, all of us and all the workforce so that we are a more caring and compassionate society. And you know what? Yes, we fall ill, you know, things happen. Let's be there for each other. Yeah. Let's learn and let's collaborate together so that we can support those who need the support so that you can retain your employees. And, you know, it's not going to cost, you know, the cost can be quite significant, something like 8.2 8, 8 billion pounds it costs businesses due to, you know, carers and not supporting carers. So when is now? a good time to start looking at that. And sometimes the smallest of things can make the biggest 
of differences. It doesn't have to cost you much either. I know that, Simon, just in educating people to understand can make a real difference, a huge impact, and yeah. the quality of life of others as well. Oh, massively, massively. Sarah, I can only just thank you on behalf of all the carers that I know you've already impacted. But for, if anybody listening would like to get in touch or find out more, what would be the best way for them to do that? Thank you, Simon. So uh, with my website, it is www.whocares, and it's a number four, for carers.com, whocaresforcarers.com. And uh, on there, I've got my online course, um, which you can just finish in your own time. The book's on there as well. Um, if you click on that link, you can find me on Amazon as well, the book, Who Cares? How to Care for Yourself whilst caring for a loved one. There's a lot of kind of um, over to you at the back of each chapter to say, you know, what is it that you can do different? So all that sort of thing is at the back. Yes, and um, please do connect. You can sign up for my monthly newsletter. Lovely. Thank you, Sarah. Now, as you know, here on Leading the Field, we've got a playlist of songs um, that our our guests have shared, the, the ones that inspired them, the ones that kept them going whatever the story is. So which one would you like to add to the playlist? Oh, bless you, Simon. Okay, so I'm going to be greedy. I'm sorry, I'm going to pick two because I know Charlie did Um, because I don't know, it's kind of soft and squidgy as well because I do like a jump up and down and I am a mosh pit chick as well. I like food fighters and killers and stuff. So I, I love Dakota by Stereophonics. You know, that's a big kind of anthem and the great line in there, you made me feel like the one, which is very empowering, especially when I think about caring for Neil. But the one that really resonates with me, now I'm an author and um, I'm getting that message out there and I'm noticing it making a difference. It is Natasha Bettingfield. I don't know any of her other songs, but the song Unwritten, I think has got fantastic lyrics. She says, open up that dirty window, live your life with arms wide open. Today is where your book begins. So yeah, thank you. Love it, love it. And and uh, what I like about the, that choice of two, don't think I didn't notice, is that um, you've got that inspiration, but you know you've also got that joy of of a track like Dakota. And um, you know sometimes life is all about jumping up and down and having fun oh my god i love a jump up and down it's really important you know it it is about you know having a good dance um no inhibitions having you know enjoying yourself every day i'd say that to anybody listening please do find joy in every single day wonderful thank you sarah thanks again for being my guest here today and for sharing all of those personal insights but also your real um, understanding and knowledge about what people can do for themselves but also what they can do for each other so that's been a a real pleasure to spend time with you today thank you so much simon take care Take care, everyone. This was Leading the Field with Simon Phillips and my special guest, Sarah Chalice. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a great week. Take care.